Welcome to the Artist Academy podcast, a place where we focus on the business side of art to help you attract more customers, increase profits, and ultimately live a life of creativity and financial freedom. I'm your host, Andre Earhart, and this week's episode features Nashville-based wallpaper and textile artist Sarah Walden of Peacockette. I personally seeked out Sarah and invited her onto the podcast to selfishly pick her brain about wallpaper. And I've learned there's so much more to it than I thought, but isn't everything. And I'm currently weighing the options of diving into my own wallpaper slash textile collection. I just love the idea that if I create one thing one time, it can then be mass produced and I can be making money on it for years to come. Much like regular art prints, I feel like there's just this amazing magical world in wallpapers that I'm starting to explore. And Sarah makes it seem so fun <laughs> and gives so many bits of advice on ways to, you know, make things easy on ourselves while creating custom pieces that can then be reproduced. And I know you're going to love this very different take on the art world because we usually talk about painting or murals, but this is just a little bit different. I, I like to switch it up every once in a while, but let me know what you think about this week's episode with Sarah Walden of Peacockette start off by telling us a little bit about your art business and how you got into what you're doing and what you're doing. Well, thank you for having me, first of all. <laughs> I'm really happy to be here. I'm born and raised here in Nashville, Tennessee, and I grew up in the music industry. And my father was a DJ and I just sort of like fell into music. And I taught myself computer skills to make CD art and band posters. And I never had the aspiration to be an artist. I liked thinking that I was an artistic person, but stage, musical theater, and music were what I felt most comfortable in. So I never was one that could draw finely. And if I won any art contest in school, it was by accident. I didn't go to college for it or anything like that. But what happened, I was watching a Project Runway episode way back in the old days, 12 years ago. And they had a print your own fabric challenge where they had to make a design, print the fabric themselves and make a, a garment from it. And I thought, well, that's, that seems really cool. I wonder if that's something I could do. And so I went online and I found a company called Spoonflower and they were just in the beginning stages themselves, maybe it'd been around about a year. And so I figured out how to get it in the right format and I put together just some basic designs and uploaded them to Spoonflower and ordered the swatches myself. And the first couple of prints I did were old Victorian illustrations of Queen Victoria and her husband, Albert Waltzing. And I had done a 3D effect on them. So if you put on the glasses, they would be 3D. And when I got that on fabric, I was just enthralled. And I thought, this is the coolest thing. And I just kind of like lit my imagination. And I started taking photographs and turning them into repeats. I started grabbing old public domain images and putting them together in different ways and changing the colors and playing around with it. And I would just upload these to Spoonflower, mostly just thinking I'd order them myself, which is hilarious because I don't really sew, but <laughs> I like the idea of it. And about a couple months into it, there's a 
well-known messenger bag company called Timbuktu. And they ordered 50 yards of a peacock print of mine. And that pushed me up into the top results on Spoonflower. And I got more views, which meant more people buying my fabric, which pushed me higher in the standings. And it just kind of snowballed from there. And it kind of, I just woke up one day and found out that I had a fabric and wallpaper business. (laughs) No training, no expectations. And now it's grown where we passed a million in sales a couple of years ago. And, you know, every year it just exponentially grows. The Spoonflower gets bigger, my sales get higher. And here I am with a, with a company 12 years later. So, oh my gosh. Oh, wow. That's so amazing. So I had a lot of questions about how, like, so I have a design that I want to turn into a wallpaper. Like, how do you do that? But you just upload it to Spoonflower and they do everything else? Or That's the easiest way. If you're getting into it and you want to explore it, the easiest ways, if you have an artwork on a white background, you can go ahead and upload it in, in a simple format. They accept several and they print in 158 DPI. So that's that's the basic. And, and the wallpaper is 24 inches across. So if you know those are the parameters, the fabric can be 50 plus inches across, but the, the wallpaper is 24 inches. So if you think, okay, I've got this piece of artwork, white piece of paper, I'm going to scan it in. I'm going to, on my editing program, I'm going to set it at 150 DPI, 24 inches across, and then just upload it, name it something interesting, upload it to your profile in Spoonflower, and you've got wallpaper. If you want to be more intentional, you'll start with the concept of repeats, which is where the edges carry what's the bottom of the tile is also the top of the tile and the side meets the side. So when you start thinking like that and you learn that process on your graphic software, then you can get way more complicated designs and, and interesting patterns like that. So those are the, the two basic skills you need to learn if you want to start making your own wallpaper and fabric. Okay, perfect. So you said scan it in. So you do it, you use a scanner? I work all digitally. I don't do real artwork. Everything I do is digital. Okay. Yeah. Recently, we've been doing this 31 day challenge where you complete a painting every day for the month of January. And I've gotten into this little comforting bubble of I'll sit on the couch and I'll have my my iPad with Procreate and I'll sketch. And I've started to make a couple wallpaper designs. And I found that it's a lot easier than getting the paints out and getting messy and like doing the whole thing. So I'm glad you say that you do it digitally. Do you also do it on your iPad on Procreate or how do you do it? I mostly sit in front of my computer. I use a program called GIMP and it's a free version of what you would probably be using a Procreate or Adobe. It was free and I was a broke musician. So that's what I taught myself on. And now all my peers are using these like, you know, $600 programs and everything. And I'm still over here on my freeware. <laughs> like it takes me probably three times longer to do everything that Adobe automates. But yeah, and the best way if you're doing it all digitally is to start with if you know that your your goal is wallpaper and not fabric is to just go ahead and start with a 24 by 24 square okay. uh, canvas on there at 150 dpi and build in layers there that way you know that that you know that it's going to repeat if somebody has eight foot walls 12 foot walls most people don't have well there's nine foot walls too and spoonflower now sells in rolls so you kind of have to think do i want to have an even design 
that's going to repeat on somebody's walls evenly. Or a lot of times what I'm doing, half of what I do is digital restoration of historical pieces. And it is the wild west out there. The designs can be 17 and a half inches long when I scale them to 24 inches. So I kind of have to throw that out, but I'm working backwards. I'm starting with something and working backwards. Huh. That's interesting. There's so many ways to go, so many ways to make money as an artist. So you restore digitally? Yes. So I will find, and everything I do is in the public domain. You have to be scrupulous about making sure that everything is in the public domain because you don't want to like grab some 1950s wallpaper and think, oh, I found this at a vintage store. I'm going to scan it in and turn it into a wallpaper. You can open yourself up to lawsuits that way. So what I do is I find museums that have high-res images of literal scraps of fabric or wallpaper from the 1800s that are clearly marked public domain. I will import them and then where they're damaged, I'll restore them digitally. Where the repeat doesn't match, I will fix manually. It's a labor-intensive project to do. It can take 40 hours to do one paper. But the thought that I'm like bringing something from 200 years ago and giving it fresh life and letting people own these masterworks is so much fun. And I also will take a painting, something like, you know, a Van Gogh or something and turn that into a repeat too, which is fun because then people can wear their favorite pieces of art. And that's really fun. Oh, that's so cool. I have never even thought about doing that. So I'm really glad you said that. Okay. Where's the copyright? So like if you use a a Van Gogh image, where's the copyright on that? Is it because he's been dead for so long? Well, 1923 is usually the year that everybody kind of thinks of. That's when, when copyright law really started to come into play. And every year... They new things entered the public domain. So Winnie the Pooh just entered public domain. So you cannot use Disney's Winnie the Pooh. And they have a copyright, I think, on on certain phrases. But if you want to use the text and you want to make a new movie about Winnie the Pooh or a new play based on Winnie the Pooh, you can do that because he's now in the public domain. So every year, more things. The Great Gatsby just came in to the public domain. So there's some resources online if you Google it and just say, number one, you could just probably say, is Gone with the Wind in public domain? It'll say, no, it was written in 1935 or whatever it was, and it is not in the public domain. But if you say, how about Wuthering Heights? Well, yeah, that was written in the 1840s. That's absolutely in the public domain. France is right out. They have really restrictive laws. I tried to do some Oscar Wilde inspired prints and it turns out that his estate, the executors of his estates are in France. And so he has a French copyright and you can't use his image at all, even though he's been dead for a hundred years. So it's a very intricate kind of world and you have to be good about it. But if you go to say a Van Gogh and you know that there's one in the Smithsonian and you go online and you look up Starry Night or I don't know which ones they have, but you look it up and you see the artwork and they'll say, download this artwork. And it'll either say for private use, meaning you can look at it yourself, or it'll say, this is, we believe this is in the public domain. And then you know that this has been it's most likely cleared that it is most likely in the public domain and you're good to go to, to use it. Okay. Oh my gosh. I hadn't even thought about it. Oh <laughs> yeah. So cool. In my line of work, it's something I have to be very aware of. And there's other things too with copyright law that you have to be like, you know, people on Etsy that want to make oh, like a Star Wars design. You can get infringement 
strikes against you. Usually it's just what they call a cease and desist. They'll send you a letter and say, stop. <laughs> That's our property and you can't use it as you wish. But it doesn't stop people from doing it. But you open yourself up to lawsuits. You open yourself up to a lot of trouble if you're not very careful using things that you did not do 100% out of your own brain. You're welcome to do them in public domain work. I love what I do. I love it so much. I feel like I'm time traveling. And I love uh, a lot of what I do is like collage work where I'll take 300 different sources from 400 different years and I layer them all together in these new inventive scenes that is completely wholly original. But it definitely is 100% grounded in other people's work. And they've probably been dead for 400 years. And, you know, you just have to think, like, I hope that they would think this is cool, that this little forgotten thing that they drew in 1675 is suddenly being worn on, you know, a runway somewhere. I mean, I would hope that in 400 years, something I make might still be lasting. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. I'm yeah. sure. I'm sure they are. I'm sure their ghosts are like, oh, this is great. <laughs> <laughs> so, so say we have a, say I have a couple designs and I upload them. And so do you choose this, this can be available for a wallpaper and then this can be available for a textile or is it just whatever want, people want to buy? So Spoonflower works in a way when you put it for sale, you can upload it for your own use if you're a fashion designer, you just want to have your designs on your fashion. You can have it private and only you can order it. If you have a client that they want an exclusive thing for themselves, you can set it up with their username and only they can buy it. You can make it public and only have fabric for sale. You can make it public and have only wallpaper for sale or both. You can also choose to distribute which has been amazing. Spoonflower is now distributed through eBay and Amazon and Walmart and Wayfair and all over the world. They've got facilities all over the place. So, well, in Europe and, and more coming soon from, from rumors. So this means that somebody in England can order something or you can find it on Amazon. And I, I'll type in my name sometimes to find out what's on the top of the search results. And it'll be something random on Walmart. And I'm just like, how? But I love the fact that people are buying like a Marie Antoinette toile on Walmart. That just makes me happy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And you've gotten your stuff in the background of a lot of famous people, right? So tell me about what's happening. First of all, I have to say like, I never seek anything out. I don't know how people find me, but I'll just get these random emails saying like, hey, we're working on a show and we like this print. It's going to be on Netflix next year. Can we have your permission to use it on our set? Or can you change the color a little bit? Or can you add this? And so there's been some things like that. A good friend of mine that I work with, her business is called Wallpapery. She's the one who hooked me up with the 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 person who is designing the cover for The Hollywood Reporter. And that was kind of, just it blew my mind. It was the Queens of Comedy. And side note, when I, I used to live in LA and I kind of was in the comedy world. And so like to have like those two worlds meet was just mind blowing. And it was people like Jane Fonda and Phoebe Waller-Bridge and, and just Tiffany Haddish. It was crazy. There was like six, six legends of comedy and they all used my a Marie Antoinette twall in the background of it. And it was just, that was a happy day. But yeah, I, and I don't even know sometimes I was late night scrolling, mindlessly looking at BuzzFeed one night had be, and I keep artist hours. So it was like three in the morning and I'm just flipping through trying to make myself fall asleep. And I see this little thing that's talking about Harry Styles and I'm like, oh, that looks like my wallpaper. And I'm like zooming in and I'm like, that is my wallpaper. <laughs> and I'm like, 
keep looking it up and bringing my wallpaper up and put it side by side. Like it can't be, but it is. So there's been like just in the wild kind of stuff like that, where I'm just shocked to see it. And then there's other stuff that I know is coming. For instance, this week, there's a show on Netflix called Sweet Magnolias. And they used one of my prints on their set last year. And this year, I don't think my NDA will allow me to say, that sounds so fancy, but I don't think I'm allowed to say the location another one of my prints is going to be in. There's there's another Peacocat print coming this season. So I'm really excited to see that one too. Oh my gosh, that's so cool. You're famous. You're <laughs> just a little bit. <laughs> I Tell my daughter it. that. Maybe she'll she'll clean her room. Like a yeah. famous person's telling you. Come on, kid. <laughs> yes, I will private message her on Instagram and be like, you should listen to your mom. I just need to tell you. No. That's amazing. So how many wallpapers and or textile, how many patterns do you have up on Spoonflower right now? Oh boy. Maybe five thousand. Oh my gosh. Okay. But if you consider that every time I do a print, I will do it in probably eight different colorways. I have some core colors. Like I usually do all my prints with a Willoware blue and white. There's a couple of core pinks and some reds. So there's a traditional turkey red I try to use so that people can match if they want to do a whole suite of duvet and curtains. Because Spoonflower also does home furnishings like pillows and and tablecloths and napkins. And you can do your whole house in Spoonflower pre-made. So I try to carry core colors. So when I say 5,000 designs, it's probably only, and I say only, it's probably a thousand unique designs. Some of that's stripes. There's a lot of stripes because every time I do a collection, I try to make sure I have a plaid, a stripe, a polka dot, several different kinds of stripes to coordinate. So people, once again, can have the duvet be the toile and and the pillows be a stripe and a little accent of a ruffle with the polka dot, you know, and solids. Every time I put a new color into one of my collections, I make sure there's a solid available. One of my favorite things when I was a kid is I thought, oh, how fabulous it would be to work for like a makeup company or a paint company and come up with all those names in the palette, you know, like, oh, cherries in the snow, how romantic. Well, let me tell you, when you have a theme for your business, like I do, trying to come up with, I think there's like 500 colors in my palette now, like trying to come up with on-theme names. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, I'm, like half of them are in French and my French is very basic. So I'm like constantly like looking online going, how do you say blush in French? How do you say flirt in French? <laughs> looking up little like English town names and mistresses of, of kings, <laughs> like trying to find stuff that's on my brand. It's, I'm stretching myself thin these days. Oh, that's so fun though. Yeah. I imagine you use the the Thoris quite a bit. <laughs> like you try to get similar things. Oh, that's so yeah. I never even thought about that. Having having your own name for your colors and having a collection. You mentioned a collection. So tell me about that. Is that like having like a series of paintings or it's kind of like that. Sometimes I will just find an inspiration piece that I'm doing a restoration on. And it has, you know, it's a floral. So I decide that I'm a floral and a stripe. And I decide that I'm going to do pull out the floral and make it a ditzy pattern. And I'm going to pull out the stripe and do a a solo stripe and then cross them and make them into a plaid or turn them sideways and, or, or take out the tiniest flower and make it a tiny little polka dot. There's a lot of things that you can do to create a collection from one central piece. So you have your inspiration piece and you build around it to everything that would coordinate with it. And I give it a root name. And if we're talking about Spoonflower, some great advice 
if I do say so myself, with the stuff that I wish I had known when I started, is name your file. So let's say that I'm going to upload something and it's called Black Cat Nocturne, and that's the root piece. So I'm going to say Black Cat Nocturne dash polka dot dash black and turkey red. Like that's the, the colors. Dash copyright 2022 Pico Cat. You want to put your business name and your copyright in there because what happens is when you put it on the internet, it's going to get scraped off by people overseas and you'll find it on Amazon. And a lot of times they, I don't know if it's maybe English isn't their first language or they don't realize Pico Cat is a brand name. They'll just leave it. They'll just upload it to Amazon for their like bath mats and weird random things like bum bags and stuff. And it'll just still have my branding right there. So it makes it easier on me to track down pirates by making sure that I put my information in the title because Spoonflower, they keep that file name. You can title it after you upload it. You can title it anything you want. You can change it. But the root name will always be what you upload it as. So that's number one. Number two is like I was saying, building a palette where you realize you're using the same colors over and over again. Next time you go to do a collection, you might say like, oh, I need a pink. Well, grab that pink you always use. You're building business for yourself and you name it an unusual name. So when someone goes on Spoonflower and goes, like, I have a color called Dauphine, which is princess in French, like Dauphine pink. And they go on, they're like, oh, I love that Dauphine pink thing I got. I'm going to search Dauphine and Spoonflower. That'll all be my pinks. If you just name it pink or blush or something common, you're going to grab 70 different designers who all use that name. But if you name it something like, you know, like, I don't know, Pickle farts or something. <laughs> it's just <laughs> random. Like it's going to be yours. And even that'll find it in Google too. So you kind of, you're building your little brand, which is another part of the advice is if you're going to turn your artwork into a business, number one, make sure your name is something unique. You don't want to be like, oh, if you're Will Smith, you don't want to have Will Smith de- designs. Or when people go to type find you, you're going to be buried in wild, wild west memes. You're not <laughs> going to be able to find you. So have a unique name. It helps. I used to be Pico Cat Designs. I shortened it to Pico Cat because it's better to have one word. It's Nobody knows how to say it, <laughs> but it's a unique, <laughs> it's a unique word. And then build the branding. Think about your mission statement. Mine is elegant whimsy. So I try to think everything that I make, is it elegant and whimsical? You know, is that is my branding, is my logo, is my colors? Everything that I choose needs to come back to the mission statement. The palettes that I choose, I, and I try to think of a mood I'm evoking, which for me is usually old world, French and English, glamour. I like to think of like a deposed duchess fleeing the country. And, you know, she's got all these kind of like shabby chic things. That's what I've got in my mind. So I'm always designing for her. And of course I have one-offs that have nothing to do with that as needed. But when I'm getting in that zone to create for the brand, that's what I'm constantly, I'm designing for her and she is the Pico Cat for me. So I would just encourage people to, as they start thinking about, should I take my art to Spoonflower or build a brand in any other way, is really think that through. Who's the person you're designing for? Who's, even if she's fictional or he's fictional or they're fictional, 
who is that person that you can always just be like, oh, would that person like this? Would, if you love Oprah, <laughs> would, this, would Oprah put this on her, what's that called? Her little list, her Christmas list that she always says, the best stuff thing. Would she go, ah, I mean, is that something that you're, will you make Oprah scream with, with this design? And then think like, what colors would she be excited about? And you're pleasing yourself, of course, but you're also, when you're designing outwardly, when you're not just being an artist and and expressing your soul when you're trying to sell things. You just have to, you have to just, yes, please yourself, but also move past that and be like, who am I trying to sell this to? And for me, it's a deposed duchess. (laughs) I love that. I love how detailed you got with that. I would have never thought. Again, I just love how much thought you have in it. And as you're describing that, I'm thinking of, okay, what would my person be? And it would be my inner child. I would love to do modern children's rooms. That oh. That's like the thing that I want to get into. Yeah. And just have like a modern twist on like today's mom would look at this and be like, it's childish, but I like it too. You know? Absolutely. I think for me, luckily I've been doing what I've been doing for 12 years, but grand millennial style has really encapsulated a lot of what I do, which is just overwhelming prints and color on color and the gaudier, the better. So it's nice now that a lot of people see themselves as deposed duchesses. Whereas I think 10 years ago, there wasn't really the market for that. Now, a lot of people love that like estate vibe, but is a little, a little time worn and, and self-aware, you know, so for you to know that you need to like picture a mom at Target or whatever, like a big box store that you want to get into, you want to picture that mom and go, what's going to catch your eye? And like I said, reusing those colors in that palette so that every season what's released, they're going to go, oh, that matches the thing I bought last year. That'll refresh that. That'll that'll make it new and exciting again. That hot pink is the same hot pink I got this last year. And they'll get, you'll get repeat customers. I mean, a lot of brands do that well. I'm not, oh, what's the name of the lady that does the pioneer woman? Like it's recognizable. I don't have any of her stuff because it's not quite my style, but it always catches my eye. It back in the old days when I could go shopping, <laughs> walking down the aisles and and seeing a crock pot and going, oh, there's that lady. She's doing that thing. And I see those colors. And it's always that teal blue or whatever it is. Having a couple of signature colors like that really will serve you well. You can do anything with them, put them in small amounts in one season and then focus on them the next and bringing that hot pink into your Christmas line will make it that's, oh, that's her Christmas line. I recognize it because that hot pink color instead of red. There's a lot of things you can do when when you think that way about target audience and building on what you've already done. I love it. So you just, you upload your your files to Spoonflower and then do you do any other kind of advertising or you just upload it there? (laughs) No, No. I I should. I should. I mean, I am the laziest person in the world. I just like hanging out. I don't even work every day. I look at my emails to make sure there's nothing like my world is falling apart and I need you to fix it with design kind of a thing. But most of the time I work what I want to, and then I'll work for 13 hours straight. And then I won't turn on the computer for a week. Like I'm just very, yeah, (laughs) I'm a whole thing. And then with advertising, I should and I probably will. I'm about to launch a luxury line with a new partner. Spoonflower does so much for me because I am one of the higher ranking people that they use me in a lot of their ads. And so I'll oh. just be like, 
thanks for that photo, Instagram. <laughs> you know, like, and then other people will be like, oh, this is what I did with your wallpaper. Here's my child's nursery. And I'm like, thanks, Instagram. <laughs> like, that's the extent of it. And I think if I was more proactive, I could really build a business. And I'm going to have to be with this new luxury line. But I've been so spoiled because people have found me organically. I get kind of almost superstitious about it a little stitches that if I start trying too hard, then I'm going to drive people away. So I'm kind of the world's worst role model for, <laughs> for being business driven and everything else. I just want to hang out with my cats. No, I feel like that's all of us, honestly. Like we, I mean, we just want to create and have it. Though so that that is ideal, and I also just want to hang out with my cats. I, I can just, <laughs> I can just sit sit on the couch and with a cuddly blanket with a cat on my lap and just like sketch on Procreate. That yeah. sounds, sounds like a good idea. I constantly laugh because around the house, I'm just wearing caftans and I've got a cat on my lap and I'm like, you know, looking like craziness. And I'm like getting emails from Amazon or whatever going like, oh, we want to, we're going to put your wallpaper in the new production. Can you work with this person? And I'm like, if you guys could only see through the computer at the state of things, you would not be taking me seriously. I'm as far from like what you would think of as a professional designer. I, at least what I would have thought of as, as somebody that, that would end up having a brand, a recognizable brand. I'm just not that person, but I love it. Like my husband was able to quit his job this last year and come work with me. And like, like what they call it, retiring your husband. And I'm like, yes, <laughs> so now he's at home with the cat on his lap. And we're just like, he helps me with the business side of things. And he's learning Procreate and Adobe. Thank God, because I just don't have a clue. Like he's doing the things that I just, like my little artist brain is like, "Mm -mm, don't want to, won't. He goes, okay, I can handle that. So it's been really good having all this just like, I don't want to say unearned because I didn't slog it out. I am self-taught, which is another point. I'm allowed to just like bunny trail off. I just want to encourage self-taught people. That is such an asset. You didn't go to school and learn the right way to do it. You don't have any rules to break. Like there's a lot of people on Spoonflower who are these brilliant artists and their artwork is so adorable and cute and precise and clean and they do these amazing things because they're all using Procreate, the tools, like the brushes and everything. There is a similarity, which is I'm not everyone. There's a million people on Spoonflower, but I'm saying like the top sellers. There's a, often a sense of a consistent style between them. And so they don't, you may not be able to differentiate. Or like stand out. Right. And some of them have done a brilliant job. It sounds like I'm coming down on them. I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> but what I'm saying is my stuff stands out because I don't know what I'm doing. And, <laughs> and like, but people resonate with that. Or I found my niche, you know, the historical recreations. People have a hunger for historical things. And all the modern stuff that the other designers are doing doesn't speak to that for, for my little subset of people. So I just want to encourage people that just because you didn't go to art school, you didn't go to college for graphic design, you can still have a very successful career if you find what your niche is and exploit that. Yeah, so true. So say I upload something, say I upload a collection, I go to the whole thing and I make a collection and I upload it and I say, you can print it on textiles and our wallpapers. What are the profit margins on there? What are they typically selling for? How much are you making? So they have a set profit for the royalty that you get is, or commission, not royalty, 10%. 
So they sell a yard of fabric, $19. You're going to make $1.90. Now, there's certain thresholds. And I'm kind of proud of this because I was part of this little small group that lobbied for higher commissions a couple years ago. And Spoonflower being the amazing, wonderful company they are, we're like, cool, we'll we'll do that. So now if you sell, I can't remember because I haven't, those thresholds. I think it's like if you sell three, you sell $1,000 in commission, which is... $10,000 $10,000 in sales. You make a bonus 1%. If you hit 3000 I can't remember the exact limits, but basically you max out at 15%. If people dig your stuff and you're selling, you'll make 15% and that can really add up. And they don't take off, like right now there's a 20% sale. They don't take that off the 20%. They take it off the retail price. So you still get your full 15%, your 10%, whatever it is. And then you can choose when you get paid out. It's every two weeks on a Wednesday, or you can just hold on to it. The thing is, you do have to pay for samples. So you can't just go willy-nilly. You have to order the samples so you can make sure it looks right in person. So a lot of people that are starting out never cash out. They just keep reinvesting what they're being paid into samples for new stuff. And then they'll hit a limit, you know, when they really start seeing sales pick up to where I think the samplers are like $30, $35. And I think that's like 30 designs. So they're pretty much doing that once a month. And then once they start seeing sales come in, that's like a hundred dollars a month, you know, whatever it is, then they start cashing out. But there's a lot of designers that just, or they're also hobbyists or sewists themselves, and they just kind of want to like use it to buy more fabric. <laughs> so yeah, it's a good system. Yeah. And like, to me, t- 10% sounds so low, but if you're thinking about what you're needing to do, like I'm not needing to make sure the customer's okay. I'm not needing to ship it or like go to the post office or anything. So, you know, for, for anybody yeah. else listening, that's like, oh no, like just think about the ease in that. Like we get to that's... just create, which is <laughs> the yeah, ideal. They handle customer service. And in fact, you will get emails. Like <laughs> there's a generated thing when they, somebody buys something, you can have the option of having a pre-generated thank you note that goes out to them from that Spoonflower handles. And in mine, I always say, hey, I'm just the artist. If you have a question about your order or shipping or anything to do with fabric care or measuring or anything, contact Spoonflower. They're the experts. I don't have access to the systems, but I still get emails all the time going, can you tell me when my package is arriving? And I'm like, nope, (laughs) I literally can't. I know that it seems like it's Etsy and that you're the person who's there and they'll be like, oh, can you make mine that it's this? And I'm like, oh no, I can't. I can't handle any of that. I don't, that's, I'm just the artist. I can change colors. And here's another thing, another little rabbit trail. Early on, I did say I offered customization and I still do. However, 16 times a day, I was getting, can you do this? Can you do this? Can you do this? And then when I would do it and upload it, they would buy a yard. So I was spending two hours for $1.90, which when you're starting out, you're just trying to build rapport and like goodwill, do it. When you hit a certain level, you need to be able to do what I did, which is I now have a website, picoquette.com, and there's a customization tab that our people refer people to where they see very clearly simple color or simple customization, which is like changing a black background to white, changing the scale, changing simple things that take me half an hour. I charge them $30. 
If they want to completely re-envision something or commission something themselves, I have a down payment that says this $100 covers an hour of my time, a mood board or a, a beginning sketch. If you like what you see, then we will proceed. And my hourly rate is $50. And then I have a separate tab that says $50. So it's very, it saves you time if you plan on offering customization, which I highly recommend, so many people will be like, can you do a stripe that matches your this or whatever? And I'm like, sure, let's do it. But don't let your time be sucked away for no money. Like make sure, get paid, <laughs> draw boundaries, get paid. You're welcome to do things for free for people. I often have women entrepreneurs that are starting their own little like baby diaper cover thing on Etsy. And they're like, oh, I'm just starting out. I can't afford your prices. And I'm like, gotcha. Because one day you're going to be successful and I'm going to charge you full price. But right now, lady, we're going to work together and we're going to do this and I'm going to help you out. And I'll charge them the bare minimum or every once in a while for free if it's for a charity or something like that. So I still highly encourage people to help people out But if it's an interior designer, if it's a company that's wanting something, a logo or something like that, get paid. Good advice. There's so many overlaps. I think no matter what art you're in, whether it's, you know, like sculpting or doing murals like I do or doing prints like this, like it's it's always customer service. Do whatever you can at first to like build up that rapport and you really get it going. And then once it's going, you can kind of make your own rules, I feel like. But it's always, it's very overlapping, I should say. Yeah. I really do encourage people to get a website. I mean, it's $14.99 a month on Weebly or whatever service you use, Squarespace, whatever. Then you got it in in black and white. I feel like in the beginning when I would be like, oh, I need to charge you $30 for this. And they would be like, $30? But if you have a price list... And they know that you're not just like making up, like it seems more official and people push back less or they just go away. They'll be like, ah, I can't afford that. Nope. Okay. And then it takes that awkward feeling. And I, I mean, I, I've been reading some old status updates from the early days on Facebook where I'd just be like, oh, I have to ask this customer to pay this invoice. And oh, I can't stand. And now I'm like, go to my website, pay me my money. <laughs> it's very clear. And I use PayPal also in the same way. When I send an invoice at the bottom, I put my contract terms. And I say, by paying this invoice, you agree to these terms. There's a lot of free resources or very low-cost resources for artists to use if they just think it through and protect themselves that I encourage people to look into. So true. Yes. Get a website. If anything, it's it's just your house. It's like building your house on the internet. Um, Yep. Yeah. So that is about all that I had today. Thank you. I feel like we just got so much and you're so (laughs) great at just delivering all of the information in such a concise, but like just also broad way. (laughs) Thank you so much for coming on here. I really appreciate you. It's been my absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. Sure thing. Um, so just for anybody who's listening, yes. like spell <laughs> your, your website. And, or, or you go, are you most active on Facebook? I'm not active. Um, <laughs> you know, Facebook <laughs> is a wasteland. Instagram's a wasteland. Like seriously, Sarah at Picoquette.com and is where you're going to catch me. That goes to my phone. Anywhere else on Facebook or Instagram, it's going to be a couple of days. But, you know. P-E-A-C-O-Q-U-E-T-T-E. Yeah. Oh, that's so cute. That little label <laughs> that's, there. That's my little logo. I love my little logo. I got my little, I got my little stamp and I can do all my little, yeah, it's, it's been fun. I just like, it's been fun having a brand because I'm like, I'm going to make cute little things with my logo. But yeah, mm-hmm. picocat.com. I've got that. And then I'm also a writer and my gallery art is over on sarahmasonwalden.com. So, but they link together. You find one, you can link to the other. So 
that's and some of my old music too, because <laughs> why have one career when you can have thirteen? Right, so. a woman of many talents. I think that's I, th- I think that's the majority of creatives too. Like I literally yeah. love to bake too and yeah. do all this stuff. But yeah, okay, great. Thank you so much again for connecting, and I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thanks again. You too. Bye. And that's a wrap. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Artist Academy podcast. And if you like hearing interviews just like this in your ear, if they inspire you, then I want to encourage you to go download the audible version of my new book, Mural Money. It's a condensed version of basically all of the best of the best tips given here on the podcast from guests, plus my own words of wisdom to help you get started in any art industry, plus stories of some hard lessons learned that I have never told before. You can pick up a copy at muralmoney.com. And again, I highly recommend the Audible version. I put a lot of tender love and care to make sure the Audible was extra special and had some extra goodness in there. And it's really for any artist, but especially those wanting to make a profit from a paintbrush. Muralmoney.com. That's it. I'll see you next week.